0: Right, we're in our second Sunday of our new sermon series on the I Am Statement of Jesus in the Gospel of John.
1: Well, have you ever
0: wondered, how do they get birds out of a big building? Have you ever wondered this? i wonder these things. <laughs> Haven't you seen them in stadiums, you know, and you've seen them at Lowe's or Home Depot? Uh, well, how do they get them out? Well, Southern Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, has this huge sanctuary that sees thousands upon thousands. Sometimes birds get in there. So the facility department had the job of trying to figure out how to get these birds out. Now, the last thing you want on a Sunday morning is for, you know, birds, you know, dive bombing the congregation. Yet in this church, you know, shooting the birds wasn't an option. And poisoning the birds seemed rather humane. After all, the goal of church is to save life, not to destroy life. So after some research, they came up with a plan to save the birds. So one evening, they turned off all the lights. Exit lights, security lights, everything, making it as completely dark as possible. Then on the lower exits, they opened the door to the outside, and they turned on all these lights outside. Make it as bright as they can. So bright that some of the light crept in through the open doors. And you know what happened. You can guess. The birds instinctively flew to the light and escaped. See, there's something about light. There's something about that source of light that attracts us. Just like those birds. Now, we we all know children. Maybe we were even one of those, right? that would never go to sleep without their nightlight on. Because darkness is kind of scary. But somehow just that little bit of light would give comfort and hope and security. Was it a story about how the caverns of North uh, uh, Yellowstone National Park were discovered? As the sky is going along and exploring... Uh, He's walking along the top of a mountain, and he fell through a hole. And he dropped down many feet into a cavern that had never been discovered before. They didn't even know it existed. He was stuck down there for over a week with no food or water. He cried out, help me, hoping that somebody would hear his voice and figure out that he was down there. Sure enough, a guy came along who was searching for him, heard his faint cry for help, looked around, found the hole. They dug him out. Uh, from this giant cavern in Yellowstone Park. They asked him, how did you hold on to hope day after day after day in that total darkness without giving up hope? He said, well, there was a little ray of light that was coming through and I just kept focused on that ray of light. See, light in the midst of great darkness has an amazing way of encouraging us. Light in the midst of great darkness gives us hope and strength. Well, today we're going to look at the greatest source of light in all the universe. The greatest light of hope and strength. The greatest light that draws us, that attracts us to it. The light that can save us from the darkness of sin and death and give us life. We all know that in our physical world, the, the sun is the light of the world. But in the spiritual world, Jesus is the light of the world, and there is no other. Jesus said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to read this uh, where, John, where Jesus quoted these words. In John chapter 8, starting at verse 12, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one that bears witness about myself, and the Father bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning now. Just in the calmness of the moment. We want to learn today. And we want to grow today. We want to come to appreciate our Jesus in a more profound, deep way today. We want to worship you by hearing your word and having your spirit apply it to our lives. Lord, we pray now these words that you have given to us will be the light of life in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, one of the neat things that God gives us is Some important insight into what Jesus means when he said, I'm the light of the world, it comes from the setting, from where he said it and when he said it. Now, a lot of times the setting isn't as important, but in this incident, it's very important and it can be easily overlooked. So let's look at the setting of this passage. The context of the passage tells us exactly where and when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you look again at verse 20 of that we read, it tells us exactly where Jesus was. It says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Now, if you want to take a moment and flip to the back of your Bibles, many of your Bibles in the, in the back of your Bibles will have a layout of the temple. You actually might be surprised how much helpful information is in the back part of your Bibles. Well, for those of you perhaps that don't um, have this layout or using one of the few Bibles, uh, you don't have this layout of the temple. I'm going to project one here on the screen for you to see.
1: Because as you enter
0: the Temple Mount, you would just enter into this general area. One of the things you'll notice is that the setup of the the temple is that the closer you get to the more sacred part of the temple, the ever-decreasing number amount of people who are able to go there. You see, the first court is called the court of the Gentiles, where all are welcome. This is where the money changers were. It's not acceptable to give to the treasury using Gentile money. So the money changers would convert the money into Jewish money, often at an exorbitant fee. Next we see uh, this court of the women, which is also the treasury. Only Jewish people could enter into this court. This is where Jesus spoke the words that we are going to look at this morning, that we read here this morning. It also was in the court of the women where Mary and Joseph presented the baby Jesus, brought the appropriate offering for the firstborn male. It was there in the court of the women that Simeon took Jesus into his arms. It was in this treasury where Jesus points out the sacrificial giving of the widow who gave all that she had, her two pennies. And it was probably here in the treasury where Judas came back and he threw his 30 pieces of silver onto the temple floor. The next court, getting smaller yet, is the court of Israel. It's also sometimes called the court of men. All Jewish men could go this far. And the next smaller yet is the court of the priests. Only the priests could enter here. This is where the altar was. This is where the sacrifices were made. Next, as you enter into the temple, the first part of the temple is called the holy place. This is where only a select number of priests went on a rotating basis. If you remember the story of Zechariah, uh, John the Baptist's uh, dad, Uh, he was a priest, and it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 1. It was his priestly division's turn Uh, to go and perform the sacred duties in the holy place. And then he was chosen to actually go into the holy place and to perform those duties. And while he was in the holy place, an angel of the Lord stood by the altar of incense and told him all about God's plan for his son John. Well, then there's that last room in the temple called the Holy of Holies, which was separated with this great veil from the holy place. And only once a year... And only the high priest on Passover would go into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice for the people of Israel. So we know exactly where Jesus is when he gave this message. He's at the treasury. He's in the court of the women. And we also know the very specific day he said this message. Now if you look over to John chapter 7, verse 37, it tells us day. it tells us that it was the last day of the feast which we know from the beginning of chapter 7, that it's the Feast of Booths, which is also called the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus' conversation starting in John 8:12 is a continuation of his teaching from John chapter 7. The Feast of Booths or Tabernacles was an eight-day festival commemorating God's deliverance of his people from uh, Egypt. The signature element of this feast, why it's called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, was the, the way that they celebrated this. The Jews were to build a tabernacle. We called it a hut, a booth, a temporary structure. And they were to live in that structure for those eight days to remember, to commemorate the wilderness wandering and how God led them. In John 3.37, Jesus used the picture of the daily water ritual during the Feast of the Tabernacles where the, the priests would do to commemorate how God continually gave them water over and over again in the wilderness. Jesus used this water ceremony where the high priest would carry water from the pool of Siloam in this grand procession and to pour out the water on the side of the altar to teach about himself. As he said, come to me and drink. Come to me and get the true living water in John 3.37. Well, now in, in John eight twelve, 12, he uses another one of these daily events to illustrate that he's the defined fulfillment of God's plan and purposes. You see, every night at the temple, in the court of the women, in the treasury, during the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would light these four huge, high menorahs. Additional candelabras were lit all throughout the court of the women. Historians say that the light literally filled up the court of the women, literally filled up the whole temple mount with the capability of light. Every night they would go around and they would light these large candles and these large oil lamps, and they would burn all night. This was actually called by the Jews, the illumination of the temple. Remember, they were celebrating the 40 years of the wilderness wandering that led them to the promised land. So why this amazing light show? What did this symbolize? Will you remember how the children of Israel were led in the desert by God? Remember, they were led by light. There was this great pillar of fire at night and there was this lighted cloud during the daytime. And to commemorate that, they had this illumination of the temple and they lit all these candles and let them burn all night long. There's some interesting descriptions by historians who describe it as a stunning vision like a diamond in the midst of the city of Jerusalem. The Temple Mount was flooded with light. It was so bright that it was seen for miles and miles and miles away, and it cast the light deep into the city. Every night, the lights were lit as a symbol of the fiery pillar that led by night and a lighted cloud that led by the days. And some have said that they would actually quote Isaiah, where he says, I will bring a light to the nations. Can't you just visualize now the place, the setting? There's Jesus standing in the midst of all these candelabras. Now, we don't know the exact moment that Jesus said these words. Maybe they were just lighting these giant menorahs as as one was lit, and then the other was lit, and slowly the temple mount is filled with the light, Jesus stands up in the midst and calls out, I am the light of the world, follow me. Or maybe it was during the day, and these massive candelabras are there, but they're, they're extinguished. Maybe he looked at these extinguished Uh, you know, candelabras, and he stands on the base of one and he says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, my light will never go out. You will never walk in darkness. But you'll have the light of life. It's a profound moment. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm the light that is never extinguished. I'm the true light. I'm the light of life. As the pillar of light led the people. So I will lead you to the kingdom. I will lead you to heaven, to everlasting life. I'm not a light to be looked at. I'm not a light to be admired. I'm a light to be followed. I'm a light to be obeyed. What an amazing and powerful moment. You know, as you read and as you reread the Gospels, you will see over and over again that Jesus knew how to capture a moment to instantly drive home the truth of his message. So what is his message? What does, he, what does he mean when he says he is the light of the world? Well, first let's look at the reality of darkness. You know, the reason we need the light of life in our lives is because we love darkness. John three nineteen says it so clearly. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people, you and me, have loved the darkness rather than the light. Because our deeds are evil. As Paul tells King Agrippa about his salvation story in Acts 26, he says that Jesus commissioned him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He said uh, that Jesus said to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. Colossians 1.13 says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. The domain of darkness is a description of our lives before Christ. Romans 1.21 describes the heart of all people when it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. What's one of the very descriptions of hell? It's called utter darkness. Outer darkness. Isaiah talks about mankind walking in darkness. Ecclesiastes talks about the fool walking in darkness. Ephesians 4.18 describes unbelievers saying they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Why do we need the light? Because we are darkness. We love darkness. Perhaps you remember that famous line, Simon and Garfunkel song in 1964 it was gloomy, it was melancholy, depressing, hopeless song, the sound of silence. Remember that first line? Hello, darkness, my old friend. They ate for light. They wanted hope. They wanted purpose. They wanted meaning. You see, darkness is a metaphor for the evil that's in our lives that we pursue. It's a metaphor for the darkness of the sin that we cling to. It's a metaphor for the selfishness in our lives that we refuse to let go. It's a metaphor for the hopelessness, for being lost, being in despair, and the darkness of sin that permeates the very heart and lives of every human. You know, no one needs to be taught about the darkness of sin in their lives. Because one simple, honest look, everyone, everyone would have to acknowledge that sin, darkness, has permeated their heart and mind. In many ways, the purpose of the Bible is to answer this one question. How do I deal with my darkness? How do I deal with my sin? How do I deal with the hopelessness that's in my life? So how do you deal with the darkness in your life? How do you escape the shackles that sin and darkness have laid upon our hearts? How do we get hope and meaning and salvation into our darkened souls? Well, think about this with me. How do you get rid of darkness? How do you get rid of darkness? There is only one way, and only one way to get rid of darkness. You turn on the light. When you turn on the light, the light chases away the darkness. John 1, 4-5 says of Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shown Jesus, and Jesus alone is the light of the world. 1 John 1, 5-7 says, This is the message you've heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as Jesus is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Colossians 1.13 says, God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Romans 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus resoundingly stood there on that temple mount in the court of the women in the treasury with all these candelabras. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, the first and foremost meaning of Jesus as the light of the world is that He alone can chase the darkness away from our hearts.
1: He alone
0: can deal with the darkness of sin in our lives. So if you look into your heart, if you just take a moment and be honest with yourself, and you see the darkness of sin in your life has the light of life? Has Jesus come into your heart and defeated and dispelled that darkness? Have you followed Jesus? Have you put your trust in Him? Have you come to Him alone for salvation? Have you acknowledged and repented of your sinful heart? Have you proclaimed Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the giver of light? When you evaluate your life, do you see the light of life overcoming the darkness of your heart. You know, if you've never come to the light of the world, the light that gives life, eternal life, if you've never come to Jesus and exchanged your sin, exchanged the darkness of your heart and soul for his salvation, for his light, for his hope and life, then today, right now even, as you are sitting here, you can pray to God and pledge your life to follow the light of life. Well, there are other wonderful meanings too in Jesus being uh, the light of the world. John MacArthur so eloquently said, light is the active power that dispels darkness. And Jesus Christ is the light of truth that dispels the darkness of falsehood. Jesus Christ is the light of wisdom That dispels the darkness of ignorance. Jesus Christ is the light of holiness. That dispels the darkness of impurity. Jesus Christ is the light of joy. That dispels the darkness of sorrow. Jesus Christ is the light of life. That dispels the darkness of death. Following the light of Jesus also means that Jesus will illumine his truth to us. As the light, Jesus illumines the truth. He gives To his people's spiritual understanding, he reveals God to us and who he is and what he has done. So where do we get this clear illumination? Psalm 119.105 tells us. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 puts it this way, it says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So believer here today, do you need some illumination for your life today? Are there questions and challenges that you are facing Are you confused about direction and God's will for your life? As you follow the light of life, seek His illumination. Seek His insight. Seek His light for your path. By seeking His truth and His word. By seeking the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. But it's also important to point out that light doesn't just show the way. But it also exposes. See, the Christian life is not just about God adding to our life inside and blessing. The Christian life is also about God exposing our sin to us. It's about God exposing our selfishness. So we can see it. and He can prune it. He can heal us. He can make us whole. And we can bear much fruit for Him. Sometimes it's this aspect of God's light that we need the most. So today, would you let the light of life, Jesus, bring to light some of the real heart struggles you are facing? But you just keep pushing away in the darkness. As He brings them to light in your life, as you deal with them, you will find that Jesus is a light of truth that dispels the darkness of falsehood. Jesus is a light of wisdom that dispels the darkness of our ignorance. Jesus is a light of holiness that dispels the impurity in our life. Jesus is a light of hope that dispels the darkness of discouragement and depression. Jesus is the light of joy that dispels our sorrow. In our passage today, the Pharisees won't let the light of life expose their darkness. When the Pharisees heard Jesus proclaim as himself as the light of the world, they knew exactly what he was saying, and they quickly changed the subject, and instead they challenged Jesus' statement. They knew that he was claiming to be God. To say, I am the light of the world, is to identify yourself as God. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. They knew the, the prophecies all throughout Isaiah about Messiah as the light. They even quoted them there in their celebration and the great lighting of those candelabras every night at the feast of the tabernacles. They understood what he was saying. He was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the Messiah. He was claiming to be the light. See, Jesus didn't say, I am a light. In the world. He said, I am the light of the world. He didn't say, I am a light in Jerusalem, that some good teacher might say. No, he said, I am the light. His claim was exclusive. Only he's the light. His claim was all encompassing. He is the only light in the world. They had the light of life right there in their temple but because of their spiritual blindness in their hearts, because of the darkness of their minds, they rejected him. And as many do, they did it without even dealing with what he was saying. They really completely ignored what he had to say. and They just tried to say it wasn't worth listening to because he was testifying about himself. They were trying to use a technicality to avoid acknowledging the truth of what Jesus was saying. Even after Jesus destroyed their technicality, of needing at least two cooperating testimonies to establish a truth, they continued to reject him. You see, there's tons of cooperating evidence. There's a testimony of the Father, the testimony of John the Baptist, the testimony of fulfilled prophecy, the testimony of his miracles, the testimony of his teaching, evidence after evidence after evidence was there to see it and to accept that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah, the light of life, the very Son of God. But you see, the easiest way to deal with Jesus you know, was just just dismissing him, just ignoring what he said. That's one of the favorite diversionary tactics of our day as well. Instead of really dealing with who Jesus proved himself to be, people would just rather just dismiss him, just ignore him, just change the subject. They change the subject, they say things like, well, you know, what, what about the people that never heard about Jesus? Who did Cain marry? All religions uh, lead to heaven. Jesus never really said what the Bible says he said. God God wants me to be happy most of all. We're all God's children. I'm a good person. I'll wait till I'm older. The Bible is just a book. I believe in science. God's not going to allow people to go to hell. I'm too smart for these ancient fables. Or even they'll say, I go to church. We've all heard comments like these that are usually just a diversionary tactic to not dealing with the hard issue. Who is Jesus? Who did he prove himself to be? If you look again at our verse there, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Jesus goes from the universal. He's the light of the world. He is the light of for everyone, everywhere, for all time. Then he says, makes it personal. He goes, whoever follows me. He goes from this universal offer to a personal invitation. See, the Pharisees didn't want to deal with Christ and any personal invitations. So they tried to change the subject, just like so many do today, maybe even today, you. You see, Jesus is standing in each front of each one of us today, and he's telling us these very clear words, one-on-one to us. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, if you put your trust in me, you will have the light of life, eternal life, abundant life. All those other questions are just a diversion from the real question. What are you going to do with Jesus? As you talk to your friends, your neighbors, your family members about their faith, no matter where the conversation goes, it's always important to bring it back to Jesus. What are you going to do with who Jesus proved he is? Well, let's conclude with this thought. Since the Bible over and over again describes Christ followers as children of the light, being in the light, children of the day, being the light of the Lord. If you're a follower of Christ here today, think about this question. How is your light shining? Philippians 2.15 says that believers are supposed to shine as light in the world. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, you, Believers, followers of Christ, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Is your light strong? Is it bright? Is it evident for all to see? How is your light shining for Christ? I know, for me, that this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for these words. These words from our Savior. That I am the light of the world. That you offer us the light of life. If we but follow you, if we but trust you, if we but follow you, you give us eternal life, eternal light, hope. The darkness that has invaded our hearts and our lives, the sin that shackles us, is broken by your light. Lord, I pray for each one here that we will have turned to you. Even now, right now, if you haven't, turn to him and pray and accept him. Exchange your darkness for his light. But Lord, as believers now, we want to be challenged as well. We want to be challenged to shine our light. We want to be challenged to, to be a reflection of Jesus Christ in our world. We want to shine bright and strong in the darkness that surrounds us. Lord, challenge us. Teach us. Convict us. Help us understand how we can better shine as lights for you. In Jesus' name, amen.